Praise God. So there's a story I wanted to share with you. So this time of year, as I was preparing my message for today, I was thinking, what comes to mind? And what came to mind was when I was a little girl, my parents had just uh, purchased a new house in like a, a year or two or a first or second Christmas in that new house. My brother and I, I was young at the time, probably six, seven, eight years old. And my brother and I was wandering around the house and not really looking for anything, but kind of looking for something. You know what I mean? around this time of year, it was a couple of weeks before Christmas. And as we were wandering around the house, we went to the basement. And when we went into the basement, we just opened the closet door, and lo and behold, there were bags. And I looked inside the bag and see, uh, you know, back in those days, there was this toy, this doll called the Baby Alive doll. Y'all remember, anybody remember the baby? You just dated yourself, you know that, right? And I wanted baby alive like nobody's business. I needed her in my life. And when I opened that bag, lo and behold, this beautiful pink and blue and yellow box that had baby alive blinking at me. And so this is a few weeks before Christmas, and I promise you, a few times a day, I find myself in that basement, sneaking in that bag, pulling the box out, and just looking at her, and, and, and looking, and trying to see if there was a way I could take it apart, and put it, back to get, put it back in a box so my parents wouldn't find out about it. That was before this here bulletproof stuff they do now. And so I was so excited because in my world at that young tender age, this was the ultimate gift. Baby alive could crawl. She could blink. She could drink her bottle. And then she really pooped. She had diapers. She had clothes. She had real hair you can comb. So this baby alive was just everything. And then after that happened, not too long afterwards, we find out we were going to have company. Our cousins were going to come in town. So therefore, you know what that meant. It was more kids than there were adults. You know, I'm letting you know right now, kids can come together and master a plan. (laughs) And parents, because y'all just don't want to hear us after a while, we know how to, they they know how to wear you down. So we knew how to wear them down, and we said, you know, Christmas officially starts on midnight Christmas, you know, the last few minutes of Christmas Eve. So let's talk to our parents and get our parents to let us open up gifts at midnight. And, of course, after some finagling and manipulating and and whining and pestering, we won. And we opened our gifts at midnight, and my mama had batteries, and it was just a wonderful, joyous, the bestest Christmas that I remember even now at the age of 48. It was a wonderful time. And see, the reason that was extra, extra wonderful, not just because of baby alive, but see, usually Christmas was a very tumultuous time in our household. In the Davenport household in Detroit, Michigan, my father, soon after we came back from, you know, came to the United States, my father converted to Jehovah Witness. So, oh, Lord. (laughs) And so my experience with religion at that time, was my father wanting to do the Jehovah Witness thing and my mother fighting him. So every holiday and every birthday, it was a war. World, World War III in, on Penrod in Detroit. 
And so it was a contentious time, and we didn't quite know. My brother and I would be confused because we wanted to celebrate, but we didn't want the fighting. And so this one particular Christmas, because, of, you know, there's, no, there's company there, so, you know, you don't want to fight and show out in front of company. But we had actually a fun time. There was no fighting. There was no arguing. My brother and I, we didn't have to take our toys and hide in our rooms to play because we didn't know if something was going to go flying to endanger our health. And that made it exceptionally special. And I just believe such is the season of the year, just worldwide. You know, this time of the year, even though it's supposed to be a time of love and of giving, it's been tinged and stained with commercialism. Even though it's a time with family gatherings and, and dining room tables filled with laughter and bunches of food, it's also a time of broken and hurt relationships and the awareness of who's not there. Though it's supposed to be a time of, of giving, many people pay more attention to what's missing. And even in Bethlehem this year, they decided to close an entire city. See, Bethlehem during this time of the year is their biggest time of year because people want to go and see the birthplace of Jesus. But even worldwide, it's become a, 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 a bone of contention and hostility because of all that resides in that region. So the enemy has made a way to make such a joyous and celebrating time to be a time of, you know, contention in some cases. So when you think about it, the juxtaposition of this season is of such contrast that it invokes one to contemplate and think about the many thoughts and emotions that hide in the basement of our lives and make some realized assessments about change. And I believe this is why during the season, you know, we're invited to look at everything and, and judge our year and look at what we have and what we don't have and who's there and who's not there. And I think along with the close of one year and the beginning of another year, we're also invited then to make some serious assessments which also adds to these New Year resolutions. The New Year's resolutions isn't always about, you know, losing 20 pounds. But, you know, it's always most people have some type of growth aspect in that New Year's resolution because they realize I need more, more on the inside than on the outside. So, you know, if you would turn with me to John chapter 3. In Isaiah chapter 9, which verse 6, which is what we oftentimes reference during this time of year, it says that for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And during that time, the ultimate gift was coming. This is the time of year where we celebrate the ultimate gift, and that gift is called who? Jesus. Not the car, not the spouse you've been praying for or the spouse you've been hoping to go away. I'm just kidding. But the ultimate, God, the ultimate gift during this season is Jesus. And I, I, I reference this because it's kind of, you know, like my husband had mentioned earlier, it's such a duality of this scripture, but I thought it was so significant and important because uh, to minister upon, I was led in this direction because everybody, at least in this country, I know in this room, is familiar with this scripture, such a common base. So if you would, if you're there, read with me. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Ready? Let's read. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we're going to talk about this morning the six remarkable truths that every person needs to know. The six remarkable truths that every person needs to know. If this is the only scripture you know in your Bible, then this is, these are some truths that every person needs to know. I didn't say the saved and the unsaved, the believer or the non-believer or the heathen and the Christian. Every person needs to know, especially during this season, these six remarkable truths that this verse of scripture unveils. So let's start with number one. Number one, God loved. God loved. He was not angry at this evil, sinful, perverted world. But instead, he loved and he fathered us so, that in, so much so that he sent the very best that he had. In fact, he sent himself. You are loved. In your mess, you're loved. At your best, you're loved. There's never a time that your God did not love you. And let me tell you something, especially married folks or single folks that think you want to be married. If you have not experienced and enjoyed and been thankful for the love of God, no person's love will ever satiate you. No person's love will ever satisfy you. God loved. He gave. He presented. And he sacrificed. You were never not his. At your dirtiest, you were never not his. At your best, you were never not his. When you were high and drunk, you were never not his. When you were laying up, you were never not his. When you were scheming and conniving, you were never not his. But when you were holier than thou, you were never not his. God loved. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword, Nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. Understand this. Even when you thought you, he didn't love you, he loved you. When you wondered why this is happening to me, he must not love me, and you start quantifying and qualifying all your misdeeds, he was still loving you in that moment. He never stopped loving you. Number two, God gave. God gave. He gave his very best. He gave all that he had. He gave himself. During this season, if you don't have a revelation of giving, because it's just, it's just contagious in the earth. It's just in the earth to give. Some withhold in their giving, some give generously. This morning, earlier, first service, we celebrated the people, there's people outside of this church that give generously and say, hey, here's this check. We want you to bless some families that could use it during this season. And we celebrated four families who received that. Praise God. God gave. In fact, you know, he says that God gave his only begotten son. And it's give, it says God gave, I believe, only because we have to receive. See, what I believe it ought to say is God replaced God replaced your foolery for his righteousness. He replaced your wrongs for his goods. He replaced your bads for his perfect. God replaced everything that you weren't or think you are with his very best. 
God replaced everything wrong with your life with you to have the potential of having his very best. He didn't slack on anything. Amen. It says here in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If it's good in your life, and if it's lasting if you're in your life, if it's true, if it does not come with this tinge of guilt, shame, and, and wanting to hide, and, it's, and, and you can quantify it as being good, guess what? It came down to, from the Father of lights. Those precious babies you all have and you're celebrating on today, good, it came down from the Father of lights. Anything you have that's good for you, good to you, and it's lasting, it came down from the Father of lights. And guess what? He says, and there's no variableness or shadow of turning. So even when you mess up, he's not looking to take your good thing back. Huh. He's not putting you on punishment or pressing pause on the blessings of your life because you messed up. He said, if it's good, I gave it to you. And guess what? I didn't take it from you because you messed up. If you don't have it anymore, it's because you relinquished it. And guess what? He's trying and fighting to make a way that you get it back. He said, if I give it to you, I never, ever designed or set it up to ever take it back. Number three, whosoever. So that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Guess what? There is no qualifier for you to have a great life. There is no qualifier for you to experience this ultimate gift. There is nothing you can do or need to do to get it. There's nothing you can do or need to do to, to possess it for the rest of your life. In fact, in him saying whosoever, guess what? He says, you get a good life. 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 He's not asking about your degrees, your pay scale, your neighborhood, your lineage. He's not asking about who can hook you up or who can't. He's not wondering and he's not inquiring about your status of scripture knowledge. You can bust out the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelations and still not be more qualified than a person that just came off the street. He says, so that whosoever, anybody, you don't have to qualify. I remember when I first got saved, you know, and, and you know, I'm dibbling, dabbling, not knowing if I really wanted to make a commitment to church because I'm thinking that I have not resolved to live my life a certain way. And so I'm thinking to myself, I need to straighten myself up so that I can actually join a church and be an active and contributing member. But it was quite the opposite. You become a member or you can commit yourself to the local body. You commit yourself to the things of God, and in that, you become better. In that, you mature. In that, you grow. You can't fix. If we could fix what we needed to fix without him, it would have been fixed. Because we don't, we don't want to live life miserable, do we? Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God commendeth, he counted us worthy, to love his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our worst state, in humanity's worst state, he said that they are worthy for me to die for them. Guilt, where are you? 
Shame, where are you? Shady past, where are you? Huh? Hurt and pain, where are you? He left me, where are you? She left me, where are you? Loneliness, where are you? Destitution, where are you? Lack, where are you? In his world, he said, hey, all that is dead and gone because I've counted them worthy to die for them so that they could have the best of the best. Number four, believe. So that whosoever shall believeth on him, all he requires from us is to believe. And check this out. This word believe here is not the word pistis, which we are used to hearing, that Greek word that means faith. No, this word here is pistios. And it's a sort of a diminished word of meaning of faith. In other words, he said, just start believing. Just count, give me some credibility. Just entrust to me. Just believe what you heard. Just give me a foothold. And baby boy and baby girl, I'll take care of the rest. He says, whosoever shall believe. In other words, in that point of salvation, when we, when we decide, God, I surrender. And a lot of times, if I can just be honest and just talk about myself, when I first got saved, I said, I surrender, but I'm giving you a try. Am I the only one out there? I'm giving you a try. I'm giving you a shot. And that's all he wants. And he'll show up time and time and time again. He'll show up in your rights. He'll show up in your wrongs. He'll vindicate you. He will redeem you. He will deliver you. He will heal you. He will provide for you if we just believe. If we just believe, Mark chapter 9, verse 23, it says, unto him, Jesus said unto him, it's, it's, this is such a good uh, scripture here because this is the man who's believing God for his son's healing. And he comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, heal my son. And Jesus says to him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. Even, and that's the same word believe that we were talking about, pistios. It's the same word, just give me a chance. And the very next scripture, I didn't uh, uh, point it out here, but the very next scripture says, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, you're, um, you're dealing with somebody that want to believe, that I believe what I heard, but I'm dealing with and battling with the doubt of whether my son's going to be healed. And Jesus said, that's all I need, baby boy, move out the way. <laughs> then he said, if you just have faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So if you just give him a foothold of belief, he'll show up for you every time. Number five, not to condemn. Not to condemn. He is not interested in your past. God is not thinking about what you did. He's not thinking about what, where you were. He's not thinking about that jail sentence. He's not thinking about the three, four, five kids you might have had out of wedlock. He's not thinking about any of that. He's not thinking about what you stole. He's not thinking about what you lied about. He's not even thinking about your degrees and your establishments and your foundations. He's not thinking about any of that. He says, I did not come to condemn. I did not come to judge. Understand this. You know, a lot of us think that God is sitting up on this here big old courtroom bench in the sky with this big white robe and the flowing white beard. Maybe not so flowing. And we think he has this big mallet in his hand. And, and when the last days come, he's saying, guilty, guilty. He's not doing any of that. 
In fact, in Revelations, when he's talking about judging, he's actually talking about judging the saints based upon their works of faith. Because, see, judgment is in the earth. He doesn't judge. We judge. See, understand that the, when he says over and over and over again, the wages of sin is? The wages of sin is? The wages of sin are? If the wages of sin are death, guess what? It's irrefutable. If we decide to sin perpetually with the knowledge that we have, we press override every single time that we want to do something that our flesh enjoys or admires. We brought the judgment on ourselves. It's in the earth. It's not something God is waiting for you to He does not respond to you. His only response to you is love. And the only thing that makes him stand up is your faith. Your sin does not bring, him atten bring, attention to you, uh, bring his attention towards you. So when judgment happens, it's because we made the decision to put ourselves in that position. It's not because he's judging. Jesus said, I came not to condemn in verse 17, but to save. So all while you're doing, we're doing because we all mess up. We all miss the mark. There's no great sin or little sin. We've all messed up, and we will probably mess up. But so long as our hearts are intense to please him, he's throwing us the lifesaver every single time. Every single time he's throwing us the lifesaver. And I'm not talking about the candy. And then he says here in Psalms, chapter, Psalms 103, stanza 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Some of you know about the church in Corinth, right? That church in Corinth was towed up. It was the church, but they were sleeping together. Stepsons were sleeping with the stepmamas. They were getting high opioids, and Percocet had nothing on this. <laughs> they dropping it and picking it up. Uh, folks just sleeping wherever with whomever they could. It was a church that was tore up. Check this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. In fact, at the beginning of the book, he, of the letter, he says, to the saints. To the saints. Jesus did not come to condemn. In fact, he sees you as perfecting, perfection being perfected. Once you've received Jesus, once you've received this ultimate gift, he don't see what was. Guess what? And he's not even projecting what could be. He's just there to love and save. And finally, number six, everlasting life. See, God intends for us to have a perpetual life of goodness overflowing. When people say that, how, how are you? You ought to be able to respond, I am blessed, highly favored, blessed to be a blessing. It shouldn't be a cliche. You should be fully convicted that I am blessed. And yes, everlasting life as in eternity, but the duality of this is that he wants you to have a great life right here on earth. 
He wants you to live abundantly. In fact, uh, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest have life, that thou mayest prosper and be in health, and even as thy soul prospers. He desires that you live life abundantly, lest he would not say that if you have faith, I will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or even imagine. God never intended for you to live a mediocre life or live substandard to what his perfection provided for you. You ought to be number one. You ought to be the best. You ought to have uncommon favor. It, people ought to uh, uh, accuse you of it being not fair. Because when you serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, guess what? Life ain't fair, baby, because I'm above the standard. You know, I, I'm, I'm recalling as I close this out. You know, I was on social media, and one of our members, Jade, she had, uh, had this experience at, at a dollar store, and I, was thought, I thought that this would be so appropriate. See, I'm going to paraphrase the story a little bit from what I can recall. But she went to the dollar store, and she witnessed that there was a mom and a baby and her other children, and the baby was in the stroller. And as she was going through the, <laughs> as she was going through the dollar store, the baby decided to make his presence known. Whoa! I don't want to start nothing. <laughs> and so the mother got frustrated. And she grabs this bag of glow sticks. She opens it up, and she just gives a glow stick to the baby. And the baby's just fine with the glow stick. Wow, Tilly, this is nice. It's smooth and shiny. It's shiny. It's blue. It's, it's, it's pretty. And so after a couple of minutes, the older brother took the glow stick. So what happened? Wah, wah, wah. The baby took the glow stick and he cracked it, shook it up, and gave it to the baby. Now, it's not participating with me right now, cooperating with me right now. Oh, you know, it's not dark. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's, oh, yeah, it is going a little bit. Thank you, Lisa. You're on top of it. So when she gives the baby back the glow stick, the, it's, the baby sees that it's lighting up a little bit, and the baby was extra pleased. And I just couldn't help but to wonder when I read the story, how many of us are the glow stick? Hmm? How many of us allow the babies of our lives, whether it's life circumstances, people, just handle us any old kind of way? We're trying to please them. We're trying to qualify. We're judging ourselves, allowing other people to judge us. Not allowing our big brother, Jesus, to take us and break that seal of ourselves so that the light that's within us can shine for all the world to see. Whether it's the seal of your past that needs to be broken, the seal of your mistakes, your insufficiencies that need to be broken, whether it's the seal of failure and rejection that needs to be broken, whether it's the seal of hurt and pain, disease, sickness, lack, whatever it needs to be broken, allow Jesus, your big brother, to break that seal and your light shine. He made it clear what his assignment was in the earth. 
We celebrate that Jesus, God gave Jesus to us during this season. But let's be clear. He was clear of his assignment. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says, as he walked into the synagogue, grabbed the scroll, found himself in the scroll, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me. The first part of that scripture right there synopsizes everything that Jesus is about. He later on talks about what explains what that is. But when he says the spirit, he came as Jesus, but he delivered these four things. The spirit, the Holy Spirit is upon me. The Lord, supreme in authority, the Lord being the power of the word. Me, the one that's speaking right there is Jesus and the authority of his name. And just in case you weren't clear about those three, he says, for he hath anointed me. That smeared on gracious ability for you to do supernaturally above what's common. When we break the seal of ourselves, our ways, what we think, our experiences, what we want, what, 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 what life has taught us, what people say they want. Because people don't know what they want from you. But when you break the seal of all this and you allow this light to shine, you won't be able but to help to give them what they need. And that's the light of life to a dark and dying world. So while every head is bowed, while every heart is searching and seeking and evaluating and assessing itself, 